Neurologic complications associated with cardiac surgery can involve just about any part of the peripheral and central nervous systems. Yet varying degrees of neurological decline have been linked to multiple kinds of surgery, not just heart procedures. How can we determine that the adverse long-term neurological outcomes following cardiac surgery are truly distinctive to cardiac procedures? You are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to a special segment, Focus on Heart Health. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, Professor of Surgery and Practicing General Surgeon. And our guest is Dr. Jose Biller, Professor of Neurology and Neurological Surgery at the Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine and Chairman of Neurology at Loyola University Health System. Welcome, Dr. Biller. Thank you for having me. Dr. Biller, postoperatively, when people have cognitive decline from, let's say, a coronary artery bypass graft or a valve surgery, can they ever have cognitive declines with respect to behavior and, let's say, even depression? Sure. One of the most frequently observed problems with these types of surgery is the so-called cognitive decline. A recent study, for example, looked at the decline in memory in neurocognitive function after coronary artery bypass graft contrasted with a well-matched control. The reality is that these are problems that need to be carefully evaluated, ideally in advance to the surgery that sometimes obviously may not be accomplished because the surgery may have to be done on an emergent basis. Now, why is that a difference, sir? Well, every time you are doing any emergency intervention where there is hemodynamic instability, the risk for complications will be enhanced. There is no question about it. Every time you are doing more than one type of intervention, for example, if you are to combine coronary artery bypass graft plus valve replacement, the risk increases. There are obviously other types of surgical interventions, for example, cardiac transplantation, where the host of potential neurologic complications can be now much more broader, not only cerebrovascular, but they can also be due to infections, they can be due to drug toxicities, they can be due to metabolic problems, they can be even due to neoplasm. Now, encephalopathy, for example, after cardiac transplantation may be due to troubles with oxygenation, with a hypoxic ischemic insult, it may be due to a superimposed metabolic abnormality. It may be due to hepatic or renal dysfunction. It may be due to multiple organ failure. It may be due to drug toxicity, to sepsis. And occasionally, particularly in this subset of patients, a change in behavior that we will define as delirium, that can be the first sign of an opportunistic central nervous system infection. On the other hand, there are common things that one has to evaluate, like changes in electrolytes, 
the drugs that are given like corticosteroids or other immunosuppressants. And oftentimes, some of these patients have been receiving prior medications and the withdrawal of psychoactive drugs may account for those problems. Now, assuming that the patient does not have a lateralizing dysfunction or an overt neurologic compromise, do these patients recognize in themselves a cognitive decline following this type of surgery? No, I would say that early on in the first few days, that is probably not overt to the patients. If we are now talking about something more general, I'm not talking about a hemiparesis or a hemisensory deficit or something that is overt like a seizure, by and large, that may become more apparent subsequently or more apparent upon a more detailed neurologic examination by a physician. If you have just joined us, you are listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. I am your host, Dr. Mark Nolan-Hill, and our guest is Dr. Jose Biller, Professor of Neurology and Neurological Surgery at the Loyola University Chicago Stritch School of Medicine and Chairman of Neurology at Loyola University Health System. We're discussing long-term neurological outcomes following cardiac surgery. Dr. Biller, can we say that the neurologic complications following cardiac surgery are exclusive just to cardiac surgery, or can it occur in other surgeries in general? No, obviously, they are not exclusive from cardiac surgery, but they are certainly well documented during this type of surgery. For example, if we go back to one of the potential mechanisms of the so-called microembolization, if one were to do transcranial Doppler monitoring during cardiopulmonary bypass, there is little dispute that microembolism occurs during these type of interventions. Now, what is more difficult is to assess the impact of these abnormal signals on transcranial Doppler upon the short and long-term cognitive function. And there are studies where individuals who had coronary artery bypass graft using cardiopulmonary bypass had a battery of cognitive tests before surgery and at intervals up to five years after surgery. And again, the good news is that the incidence of these cognitive decline changes improve over time. Now, on the other hand, other studies showed that after five years that there was a certain increase in the cognitive decline. So it's an area of great interest because there are fascinating a group of neurologic complications during the different types of cardiac surgery. In other words, as you mentioned earlier, any part of the central nervous system or any part 
of the peripheral nervous system can be compromised. So for the physician assessing these patients, they need to look at what is the possible level of neurologic involvement. Is it the cerebral cortex? Is it the brain stem? Is it the cerebral white matter? Could this be the basal ganglia? Could it have affected, for example, the pituitary gland? Because, for example, there are rare instances that during cardiac surgery, a patient may suffer from pituitary apoplexy and present with headaches and ocular pulses or impaired visual acuity. There are very unusual situations where there may be ischemia to the optic nerve, and therefore the patient may have painless visual loss. Sometimes there may be ischemia to the retina, sometimes to the spinal cord, or when we go to the peripheral nervous system, there may be compromise with the brachial plexus, peripheral nerves, or even the muscles or neuromuscular junction. And that is why earlier during our conversation, I suggested that the examination should be very parsimonious because every type of cardiac surgery may be associated with a distinct type of potential complications. So you don't want to put them together in a single category, but there is no question that cognitive problems and strokes, whether due to microembolization or hypoperfusion, are issues that need to be recognized, as well as the fact that many of these patients have severe advanced comorbid disease that can be affecting their cerebral autoregulation. Let's make an arbitrary division of patients who are postoperative from cardiac procedures and patients who are non-operative. And let's talk about neurologic events. Generally speaking, is there a difference in their prognosis on one group perhaps that would improve with time better than the others, or are they the same? Well, I think that, by and large, what has to be very clear is that these types of surgeries are being done with great success. There is no question that the success of these operations are fantastic. The progress that has been made in the last few decades is extraordinary. So while we are talking about the potential complications, many of these are rare and the benefits are overwhelmingly the factor that has to be considered because these patients are significantly helped by this intervention. And if these patients don't have a catastrophic outcome neurologically, do they generally have a good prognosis and regaining full cognitive function, let's say, in a year or two? Yeah, most of them do. Now, whether more detailed evaluation 
on their executive function, what we nowadays talk about this executive function may be an issue, is an important consideration because there are certain areas of the brain that may be more vulnerable than others that are areas of association cortices. So one could imagine scenarios where individuals may have hypoperfusion that may affect the vulnerable watershed regions, let's say more in the posterior part of the brain. And therefore, while the patients may improve, may have some residual problems with calculation or memory problems for verbal or non-verbal material. So clearly, we need to have additional studies, but by and large, the patients do improve. Now, when the cardiac surgeons talk to the patients about having the procedure, I would presume that they also, as part of their informed consent, talk about the possibility of neurologic events postoperatively. I'm just curious, when you're operating on someone like President Bill Clinton, who had a bypass surgery some years ago, I wonder if this is a concern with patients in terms of the potential for a neurological problem. Oh, sure, sure. There is no question that we know, for example, that if one were to look at a careful analysis of what would be as a neurologist now, the risk factors for, let's say, potential cerebrovascular complications, age will be one, worsening New York Heart Association functional class. If you have a lower ejection fraction, would be an issue that you need to consider in these patients. Certainly, patients who may have coexistent atherosclerotic peripheral vascular disease, and in particular, aceromas or extensive plaques of the aorta that can be evaluated with transesophageal echocardiography, for example, the presence of other risk factors like hypertension, diabetes, renal insufficiency, and prior stroke. So there are a number of factors that are patient-related. I want to thank our guest, Dr. Jose Biller. We've been discussing long-term neurological outcomes following cardiac surgery. I'm Dr. Mark Nolan Hill, and you have been listening to ReachMD Radio on XM160, the channel for medical professionals. ReachMD, online, on demand, and on air. Please visit us at ReachMD.com. And thank you for listening.